I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Aaron Neary, CIO at Dell Medical School and UT Health Austin. Aaron will be speaking to me about steps his organization is taking to automate and streamline its IT cybersecurity, third-party vendor, and supply chain risk programs. So Aaron, for starters, please briefly describe your organization and the top challenges that you're dealing with in terms of third-party vendors and supply chain risk, especially as it pertains to cybersecurity issues. So first of all, a little bit about UT Austin. So the University of Texas at Austin is one of the largest uh, research universities on the planet. We have a very large healthcare uh, division uh, that consists of hospitals, ambulatory clinics, our medical school uh, research, our community impact division, social workers, folks who go into the community. And so my span of controls over all of that on the healthcare side. And so working together with the other colleges on University of Texas campus, we got to make sure that from a data transmission, third-party risk, as you alluded to, any IT solutions, systems, applications, whatnot, not only conform to what HIPAA requires, but also conform to what you would consider industry best practice because you got to imagine the amount of intellectual property and other things being developed on campus. I mean, we're one of the sites that helped develop in, par- in partnership with the NIH and others, the spike uh, protein process for the COVID-19 vaccines. So, I mean, the kinds of things we're doing at UT Austin are world-class, top shelf. And so that requires a true cybersecurity program end-to-end that spares no expense and stops at nothing to make sure that we are, have assurance in what we do. So Aaron, you mentioned that your organization is involved with COVID work. What are some of the challenges that you've been dealing with during the COVID-19 pandemic, especially as it relates to cybersecurity, third parties, and supply chain? I wish there was an answer here that says like D, all the above. But in all seriousness, it has been the fact that the pandemic has unfolded in a way that there was no playbook for this. So as we went along from uh, last March, when it was really declared a disaster here in Austin, Texas, even through now, it has been one thing after another of solution after solution, partnership after partnership that we needed to really lean on uh, to get through a respective challenge. I'll give you a specific example. Last March, when we declared an emergency, we were the first site to have a drive-through COVID-19 testing station, where in your car, you come through, you get swabbed, you know, see if you're positive or negative. And then shortly thereafter was uh, home monitoring for temperature control, and then, of course, contact tracing. And all of these solutions, there's no like on the shelf, okay, let's do contact tracing today, like you can go buy electronic medical record. It doesn't exist. You have to literally go buy it or do it off Excel sheets. Well, that's not going to cut it for UT Austin, particularly given the scale and the robustness we are. So we stood up an application from the World Health Organization. Well, it needed to be hosted in in a cloud environment and all sorts of things that needed to be done. So to the degree of it, there was a lot of dynamics that we had to navigate with third parties and third party risk assurance to make sure we did it in such a way that it was robust, it was carefully thought out, was planned, and then was executed upon. So what's the common theme in all of this? It's third-party risk management, all of it, from applications on the shelf to stuff we have to just you know, deal with from COVID-19 or other perspectives. That's where the industry is headed, and that's why you see the Office of Civil Rights and others at a national level saying we are going to be looking at covered entities, anybody who provides care that receives Medicare and Medicaid dollars, and making sure that you are keeping your vendors honest in what they do day to day. So, Aaron, with that all said, what steps are you taking to automate and streamline your IT cybersecurity, third-party vendor and supply chain risk programs? So a couple of steps. Number one, you have to have an inventory accurate, up-to-date of exactly who are your vendors and what's going on. So our first step was landscape assessment. 
what's going on? What are we using, right? As I told you, we have so many moving parts at UT Austin. Doing an inventory can be kind of onerous, but the good news is that we started from a good spot. So really was cheering that up and making sure we knew who we were actively using from an application or system perspective. And then who are we contemplating? And then it's back going to and making sure you're truing up okay, what documents do you have? What certifications does this vendor have? What are they doing for you? What kind of data is being transacted with them? And then three was, all right, now that we kind of know what's going on, who's it going on with, and where data is being used, now it's a matter of staying on top of it, right? And continuously improving and making sure that you are actively assessing. It's not a one and done where you go up to a Microsoft and said, hey, I want your SOC 2 type threes and I need this security assessment. It's an ongoing iterative thing to show a culture and a compliance program of iterative steps forward. That takes documentation, takes a paper trail, takes collaboration. And more importantly, what we're realizing, it takes a community. Oftentimes, CIOs will reach out to their network, such as myself. I will reach out to partners across the country and go, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, what are you guys doing for this application or this system? And so what we said was we could keep doing this very brokenly over email, or we could partner with companies that are out there that really help centralize and manage this in an easy to form fashion. Yes, I'm UT Austin and, and we are blessed to have a phenomenal university and resources, but I don't have an infinite pool of people. I don't have an infinite amount of money. You know, I am as budget constrained as anybody else, particularly being a state institution. So the important thing was to find vendors that would help us automate and streamline and give alerts. Tell us when something is out of date. Tell us when something's out of whack. Tell us when a sister institution suddenly has an issue with a vendor that maybe we use. Maybe there's questions we should be asking we haven't thought of. That collaborative network is power in itself beyond just getting the point in time SOC 2 type 2s and so forth and so on. So Aaron, give me an example of how this might work. What is a sort of like real world sort of dilemma that you might have that this would help with? Great question. So we recently opened up a state-of-the-art ambulatory surgery center. And you can imagine in the ASC, we have multiple ORs that, you know, in UT Austin's case, we wanted to make it all digital. So we have data, we can show medical students what's going on in the OR for a respective case, so forth and so on. So you can imagine all of the vendors I had to interact with from the GEs and Philips of the world, all the way over to the EMR vendors and even the laptops and the computers in an OR, just as a specific example. Well, here we are negotiating medical device contracts with these major vendors who are good vendors, but medical device manufacturers are notorious for putting out great products that have really legacy codes still running on them. And so how am I supposed to know if this medication dispensing unit that we're about to buy has a, a good version of code that's patched and it's up to date and it's secure or not? So what you would do, and in our case, we partnered with a company called Sensinet to help ping other like similar institutions that are using this vendor going, hey, how's it going for you? Have you discovered any anomalies, any issues here? Have you run into an issue where things have a virus on it that's shipped from the factory, which does happen? Those kinds of things have power in it. And then furthermore, I can collect and put all of my documentation, security certificates, our risk assessments, all that together into one spot. So it's a one-stop shop. It made my security team a whole lot more efficient and effective than having a track on a giant spreadsheet with a bunch of you know, links to different emails and embedded things in box that it's now one-stop shop for everything. And we can see what's going on. And more importantly, when we partner with internal audit or other compliance groups across UT Austin that frequently make sure that we have our ducks in a row and I appreciate them for what they do, I can easily produce a report to say, here, here's what's going on. 
here's what we know, here's what we don't know, here's what's aged, here are the vendors that we're no longer going to be using, or more importantly, if I'm opening up an ASC or whatever I'm doing, if there's a vendor out there I'm contemplating and I realize that they've had cybersecurity issues, I'm not going to go with them. You know, I'm going I'm to vote with my dollars. That's kind of why even class recently has started looking at this going, what is your cybersecurity hygiene and how do we make sure that these vendors stay honest and help the providers out who oftentimes don't know until there's an issue that your product may have some gaps. So Aaron, as you know, we've been hearing a lot about third party and vendor related and business associate related breaches, everything from SolarWinds to Excellion and so on and so forth. The approach you're taking now, could it help you potentially avoid certain vendor security incidents and breaches that might have an impact on your organization? And if so, how? The answer is, I hope so. What we're realizing is, as I told you earlier, the power of the network and the power of being able to collaborate with other like-sized institutions helps give you a magnitude more of insight than you by yourself. And so I'll give you an example. Recently, the FBI has called several, like every provider sign on to a web bridge and listen to the update we're going to give you. When it was last November, right around the election time, and you saw the University of Vermont Health System and others get hacked really badly, they called all the major providers onto like a two-hour discussion, talk about the threat vectors, what to patch, what to mitigate, what they're doing. Uh, and then recently did the same thing uh, related to the Microsoft exchange of vulnerability. So I give a lot of credit to the federal government for realizing the power of a network. But on the provider side, just on the provider network alone, the power of a network, a collaborative uh, of peers and like-sized institutions does help give you insight into something you may not know what's going on. Here's an example. When WannaCry broke out a couple of years ago, if you recall, it actually started in Europe. And then, you know, as the as everybody woke up in the United States and came over here, people's computers are booted up. Imagine if suddenly the NHS or a hospital system in Great Britain could simply alert hospitals you know, across the pond saying, hey, U.S., heads up. We just got hit by a giant ransomware called WannaCry. You may want to patch this immediately. Imagine that. Right. You would have saved billions of dollars and, and much less who knows how much in terms of intellectual property from being impacted. That's where we've got to get to. And you're only going to be able to get to that if you're all moving in the same direction and you're rowing in the same direction. That's the power of also then automating dashboards and threat ops and looking at things at a holistic picture perspective and taking the data that everybody is willingly giving and kind of producing for you an early warning radar system, right? So you know exactly what's going on, what vendor ranks, what vendor doesn't. And more importantly, if there is a ransomware breakout or something similar to that effect, you're able to mitigate it a whole lot faster. Will it be the panacea Pandora's box of no more cybersecurity issues? No, that's unfortunately a pipe dream. But if we can mitigate it down to where it's negligible, then you can manage the risks and manage the threat and have a darn good response if something were to happen. And finally, Aaron, besides the work you're doing to streamline and automate your supply chain, third-party vendor, and cyber risk programs, what other cybersecurity and privacy-related projects are topping your priority list for 2021 so far and why? We're spending a tremendous amount of time partnering with our major cloud service providers, uh, where we host a lot of our digital properties, a lot of applications that we have built a lot of the systems that are now becoming very key to what we're doing. And I got to give a lot of credit to all, all the major cloud service providers. You can imagine I use them all, right? But every one of them been willing to step up, uh, partner with us, uh, ensure that there's both application security and infrastructure security in the cloud, that we know exactly what's going on. We're mitigating what's, what's happening there. And here's a real world example as to why. 
Last spring, I'll go back again to COVID, we had a major shortage of protective gear, PPE, right? Everybody knows about this. It was just a major national shortfall. And so we put up an exchange. It's a simple community forum just for hospitals and providers to be able to like collaborate and say, okay, I have a thousand extra face masks. Where does it need to go? Right. And the community of Austin rallied around to share whatever they had, whatever was in their storage so we could weather the storm. That community forum, which had nothing on it, it was simply a discussion board, was attacked by foreign countries within five minutes of putting it up online. This is a discussion board. There's nothing there. There's no EPHI. There's no IP. There's nothing. But immediately it was attacked. So I'm telling you, when, when I tell you that people are watching, foreign nations, adversaries, people who just want to be nefarious are watching, they absolutely are. Particularly when you hear something as called a high profile as the University of Texas at Austin, you have to think that way. So what is the most risky proposition out there? Putting some critical app in a cloud, which is somebody else's data center, believe it or not, and you got to make sure it's secure. And as more things go to the cloud, that importance is even more so. So twenty, the end of 2020 and 2021, as you can imagine, has been about me working with our security teams, our vendors, our, our partners, and making sure that every property, whether it's on-premise or hosted, we know exactly what's going on, where it's going, who's it going on with, and more importantly, we're making sure we close off any risks that could be there. As I tell my team all the time, belt and suspenders, because you don't want to be caught without them. Thanks, Aaron. I've been speaking to Aaron Meary. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.